Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book entitled The Private Key to Heaven. It's by Thomas Brooks, the English nonconformist preacher and writer who died in 1680. Well, this private key to heaven has been about uh, closet prayer, private prayer. And he starts out talking about uh, why we should do this, and then he answers many objections to it. And now another section begins entitled 11 Words of Counsel. 11 Words of Counsel. Uh, the first word is be frequent. Be frequent in closet prayer and uh, not now and then only. He will never make any yearnings of closet prayer that is not frequent in closet prayer. Now, that this counsel may stick, consider. First, other eminent servants of the Lord have been frequent in this blessed work. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, Nehemiah 1. And so Daniel, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. So David, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee, or come before thee. I prevented, or came before, the dawning of the morning, and cried. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. Yea, he was a man of prayer for his frequency in it. For my love they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer, he says. Or as the Hebrew could read, but I am a man of prayer. Of Charlemagne, it was said that he spake more with God than with men. Secondly, consider the blessed scripture doth not only enjoin this duty, but it requires frequency in it also. In the former part of this discourse, I have given light into these scriptures, and therefore the bare sighting of them must now suffice. And that was in Luke 18.1, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and Colossians 4.2. Thirdly, Christ was frequent in private prayer, as you may easily see by comparing of these scriptures together, Mark 1.35, Matthew 14.23, Luke 22.39, John 18.2. In my second argument for private prayer, you may see these scriptures opened and amplified. Fourthly, consider that you have the examples of the very worst of men in this case. Papists are frequent in their private devotions. The Mohammedans, the Muslims, what occasion soever they have, either by profit or pleasure, to divert them, will yet pray five times every day. The very heathens sacrifice to Hercules morning and evening upon the great altar at Rome. And now, shall blind nature do more than grace? Fifthly, consider it you cannot have too frequent communion with God. You cannot have too frequent fellowship with Jesus. You cannot have your hearts too frequently filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory and with that peace that passes understanding. You cannot have heaven too frequently brought down into your hearts, nor can you have your hearts too frequently carried up to heaven. And so you cannot be too frequent in closet prayer. Sixthly, consider that you are under frequent needs and frequent sins and frequent snares and 
frequent temptations and frequent allurements and frequent trials and frequent cares and fears and favors. And therefore, you had need be frequent with God in your closets. Seventhly, consider you are the favorites of heaven. You are greatly beloved. You are highly honored. You are exceedingly esteemed and valued in the court of the Most High. And remember that the petitions of many weak Christians and of many benighted Christians and of many tempted Christians and of many clouded Christians and of many staggering and doubting and bewildered and fainting Christians are put into your hands for a quick and speedy dispatch to the throne of grace, so that you had need be frequent in your closets and improve your interest in heaven, or else many of those poor hearts may be wronged or betrayed or prejudiced by your neglect. Such as are favorites in princes' courts, if they are active, diligent, careful, and watchful, they may do much good for others. They may come as often as they please into their prince's presence. And with Queen Esther have for asking what they please, both for themselves and others. Oh, what a world of good may such do for others that are God's favorites, if they would be but frequent with God in their closets. Oh, sirs, if you have not that love, that regard, that pity, that compassion to your own souls as you should have, yet, oh, let not others suffer by your neglect of private prayer. Let not Zion suffer. Let not any particular saint suffer by your being found seldom in your closets. Certainly it might have gone better with the churches of Jesus, with the concerns of Christ, with many of the poor people of Christ, if most Christians had been more frequent with God in their closets. Eighthly and lastly, consider that this liberty to approach nigh to God in your closets cost Christ his dearest blood. Yes, now that... He that is not frequent with God in his closet tells all about him that he sets no great value upon that liberty that Christ hath purchased with his blood. The incomparable unparalleled price which Christ hath paid down upon the nail above 1600 years ago that we might have liberty and free access to his Father in our closets argues very strongly, yea, irrefragably, that means undeniably, the superlative excellency of that liberty. Oh, therefore, let us improve to propose this blessed purchase of our Lord Jesus by being frequent with God in our closets. It is disputed by some whether one drop of Christ's blood was sufficient for the pardon of our sins and redemption of our souls. My intention is not to dispute, but to offer a few things to your consideration. First, it must be granted that by reason of the hypostatical union, that is, the, uh, the union of the divine and human natures in Jesus, a drop of Christ's blood was of an inestimable worth and excellency, and the value of his passion is to be measured by the dignity of his person. Secondly, a proportion was to be observed betwixt the punishment due to man and that which was suffered for man that his sufferings might be satisfactory, two things were necessary, gravity of the punishment as well as dignity of the person. That the least drop of Christ's blood was not sufficient for the redemption of our souls may thus appear first, if it were, then the circumcision of Christ was enough, for there was a drop, if not many drops of blood shed. 
Secondly, then his being crowned with a crown of thorns was sufficient, for it is most probable that they drew blood from him. Thirdly, then, all Christ's sufferings besides were superfluous and vain. Fourthly, then God was unjust and unrighteous to take more than was due to his justice. But for any man to affirm that God hath taken beyond what was his just due is high blasphemy. Fifthly, then Christ was weak and imprudent to pay more than he needed. For what need was there of his dearest heart blood if a drop from his hand would have saved our souls? Let the schoolmen, the Roman Catholic teachers of philosophy, fancy what they please. It is certain that not one dram of that bitter cup that Christ drunk off could be abated, abated in order to his Father's full satisfaction and man's eternal redemption. Christ hath given under his own hand that it was necessary that he should suffer many things. O oh, sirs, shall Christ shed not only a few drops of blood, but his very heart blood, to purchase you a freedom and liberty, to be as often in your closets with his Father as you please? And will you only now and then give God a visit in private? Oh, the Lord forbid. Well, that was the first word of counsel. Be frequent. The second word of counsel is to find the best time. Take the fittest seasons and opportunities that possibly you can for closet prayer. Many take unfit seasons for private prayer, which uh, do more obstruct the importunity of the soul in prayer than all the suggestions and instigations of Satan. As first, when the body is drowsy and sleepy, this is a very unfit season for closet prayer. Take heed of laying cushions of sloth under your knees or, or pillows of idleness under your elbows or of mixing nods with your petitions or of being drowsily devoted when you draw near to God in your closets. And secondly, when a man's head and heart is filled with worldly cares and distractions, this is a very unfit season for closet prayer. When Dinah or Dinah must needs be gadding abroad to see fashions, Shechem, prince of that country, meets with her and forces her virginity. And so when our hearts, Dinah-like, must needs be a-roving and gadding abroad after the things of the world, then Satan, the prince of the air, usually seizes upon us, commits a rape upon our souls, and either leads us off from prayer, or else he doth so distract us from prayer that it were better not to have prayed at all than to have offered the sacrifice of foolish and distracted prayer. I have read a story how that one offered to give his horse to his fellow upon condition he would but say the Lord's Prayer and think upon nothing but God. The proffer was accepted, and he began, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But I must have your bridle also, he said. No, nor the horse either, said the other, for thou hast lost both already. The application is easy. Certainly the most free and lively season for closet prayer is the mornings, before a man's spirit be blunted or cooled, deadened, damped, or flatted by worldly businesses. A man should speak with God in his closet before he speaks with his worldly affairs and occasions. A man should say to all his worldly business, as Abraham said unto his young men, 
when he went to offer up his only Isaac, Abide ye here, and I will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. He that will attend closet prayer without distraction or disturbance must not first slip out of the world into his closet, but he must first slip into his closet before he be compassed about with a crowd of worldly employments. It was a precept of Pythagoras, the ancient Ionian Greek philosopher, that when we enter the temple to worship God, we must not so much as speak or think of any worldly business, lest we make God's service an idle, perfunctory, and lazy recreation. The same we could say of closet prayer. Jerome complains very much of his distractions, dullness, and indisposedness to prayer, and chides himself thus, What? Dost thou think that Jonah prayed thus when he was in the whale's belly? Or Daniel when he was living among the lions? Or the thief when he was on the cross? Thirdly, when men or women are under rash and passionate distempers, for when passions are up, holy affections are down. This is a very unfit season for closet prayer, for such prayers will never reach God's ear, which do not first warm our own hearts. In the Russian churches, if the minister mistake in reading, or stammer in pronouncing his words, or speak any word that is not well heard, the hearers do very much blame him and are ready to take the book from him as unworthy to read therein. And certainly, God is no less offended with the giddy, rash, passionate, precipitate, and inconsiderate prayers of those who, without a deliberate understanding, do send their petitions to heaven in post-haste. Solomon's advice is worthy of all commendation and acceptation. Be not rash with thy mouth, he said, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, Ecclesiastes 5.2. Or as the Hebrew may be read, let not thy heart through haste be so troubled or disturbed as to tumble over and throw out words without wisdom or premeditation. Good men are apt many times to be too hasty, rash, and unadvised in their prayers, complaints, and deprecations. Witness David, Job, Jeremiah, Jonah, and the disciples. No Christian is superior to him that doth wisely and seriously weigh over his prayers and praises before he pours out his soul before the Lord. He never repents of his requests, who first duly deliberates what to request. But he that blurts out whatsoever lies uppermost, and that brings into the presence of God his, his rash and raw and tumultuary, indigested petitions, confessions, complaints, he doth but provoke God. He doth but brawl with God, instead of praying to him or wrestling with him. Suitors at court observe their fittest times and seasons of begging. They commonly take that very nick of time when they have the king in a good mood, and so seldom or never come off with good success. Sometimes God strongly inclines the heart to closet prayer. Sometimes he brings the heart beforehand into a praying frame. Sometimes both body and soul are more enlivened, quickened, raised, and divinely inflamed than at other times. Sometimes conscience is more stirring, working, and tender. Oh, now strike while the iron is hot. 
now lay hold on all such blessed opportunities by applying of thyself to private prayer. Sirs, can you take your fittest times, seasons, and opportunities for plowing and sowing and reaping and buying and selling and eating and drinking and marrying? And cannot you as well take your fittest times and seasons to seek the Lord in your closets? Must the best God be put off with the least and worst of your time? The Lord forbid. Neglect not the, the season of grace. Slip not your opportunities for closet prayer. Thousands have lost their seasons, yes, and their souls together. There was Thomas Brooks giving us a couple words of counsel regarding prayer. We have nine more of those. Do come back and Let's finish that series. Thanks for listening. Do look around our site. As I always ask, there are th literally thousands of audios. And I, I want you to look through them and see what uh, God will use to bless you. And if you want more fellowship, you can buy one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I will let you know about our Zoom meetings. We would love to have you there. God bless you, and this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 23rd of May, 2023. Lord willing, we get to talk again real soon. Bye-bye.